Welcome, welcome to the After Hours Sessions podcast. I'm your host, D-Rock, and I am joined by uh, someone I'm just really excited to talk to, a great special guest, the one and only Miss Andre Shakti. Thank you for joining us. Hey, D, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am not going to lie. I know I'm not supposed to fan out. You know, I'm trying to get my host hat on here, but I've been reading your articles and listening to you for a while so i am just really pumped to have you on the show now i saw your email address and might i ask you are you a, a temple student i'm a temple graduate oh awesome i'm from south jersey like south philly area so oh it's all temple and i got excited for a second no no i'm uh i'm i'm way way about a decade ago i graduated but i've always oh, kept goodness. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> perpetual student of life right yeah i i just i had so many emails connected through there i was like i don't want to give this one up so i have the other emails but i still kept that um you know and yet well t for temple you but that's awesome you're you're from south jersey that's really cool yeah i uh i was born in south philly um right around like third and chestnut and then yep. uh when i was like a toddler my family moved me to south jersey and my family's all still in that you know very i'm very stereotypically italian very sicilian <laughs> so they're still all over new jersey in that area um pretty you know stereotypically so awesome yeah that i really love jersey cool. i love dirty jurors <laughs> <laughs> oh man so so but I guess for me, I guess to where to start, because I love I love people who have variety. And I love the fact that you're into a lot of when it comes to sex work, you know, you're an activist, you're, a, you know, looking at sex and disability and, you know, being compatible with your, you know, finding that kink partner and polyamorous stuff. So I guess to the, the start it off, how did you kind of really get into making this like a career for yourself? Oh, God. I know. I kind of woke up like a year or two ago and I was like, wow, I really did make sex work into a career. Like, that's so wild. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. Like, I grew up in a, a pretty conservative family. You know, South Jersey's pretty rural. And so, yes. which a lot of people don't know if they're not from the area. So I grew up, you know, surrounded by like farms and farmers markets and had like a very small, very white graduating high school class and all of that good stuff. And I could not tell you for the life of me how I ended up like having the attitude about me that I have. My parents are, were, and still are very, very conservative. And, you know, I went to a high school that didn't even have any sex education to speak of, not even like a gym teacher telling us that, you know, here's a condom to put on a banana and like gay people get AIDS. Like I didn't have anything at all. And so, you know, I grew up with, uh, I think I'm like kind of the last generation that um, didn't have the internet for like most of their childhood. We didn't get um, like a home computer until I was about like 14 or 15. And, you know, I've always, um, I've always just been like very confident with my sexuality. I've always just never really had the kind of like shame that, um so that that is like drilled into so many of us especially women like when we're young about like our bodies and using them sexually and like all that good stuff and uh and then you know when I was very very young like 13 12 13 um you know I started like I started like masturbating when I was super young um I like would find my parents playboys underneath their bed which actually side note is how I became a fan of Stephen King because oh. I'm a huge horror 
movie and horror genre person and I've read everything he's ever written and stalked his house in Maine like for a <laughs> s- small period of time but um but I used to read he used to write uh short stories in Playboy and right. I would literally like skim past all the like pussy and then just go right to like the Stephen King shit and like eat it up and not think anything of the fact that I was like you know looking for that in a porn mag and um, when I was super young, like 12, 13, I also had a lot of my friends. I had, I had three, uh, boys that I was friends with at the time all come out as gay and we were in middle school and they were the first openly gay middle schoolers that our school had ever had. And, you know, lots of terrible things, of course, like ensued with them. But very early on, I was taught like, okay, like gay people are real people you know they have right. they have feelings too you know like it isn't fair what's like being done to them and you know I didn't come out as like queer until uh the beginning of college but I don't know I just always like I was I've just always been like super accepting and like non-judgmental and um so yeah when I was in high school I knew that I wanted to I was of like two minds I knew that I wanted to do something that had to do with like psychology and also talking to people about sex because I definitely became like my high school's Dr. Ruth. I became sexually (laughs) active when I was 12, like very consensually, very enthusiastically and um, just became the person who talked to everyone about sex and was also like petitioning my high school board to actually implement a sex ed program and doing all this like advocacy when I was in high school and also co-founded like my high school's gay straight alliance and like all this shit right so I knew I wanted to like go into something that had to do with talking to people and sexuality and I also had this like pipe dream or so I thought of getting paid to exercise because my mom um, was a triathlon uh, athlete wow. while I was growing up. And I very much got into like training with her and like, you know, rock climbing and like running and doing shit like that. And so I was like, how cool would it be to like somehow my life get paid to exercise? So I go to college for something completely unrelated to all of that, which was deaf studies. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought, ASL interpreter um, for a long time because I also uh, learned sign when I was in high school and um, and you know when I was 18 years old like halfway through my freshman year I answered an ad in the now defunct Baltimore City paper I went to school in in right outside of Baltimore and okay. um, I answered an ad looking for quote cabaret dancers and um I was like wow this seems cool like I you know I also grew up dancing in a very non-erotically way I was like I used to do like hip-hop and modern and like latin ballroom and so I was like okay like I have rhythm like I can dance (laughs) I'm I'm into my body and also like what again what a great way to get a workout right to get paid to like get a workout and like I like being in front of people so yeah let's fucking do this and I went in and I ended up working at a Russian strip club that was a front for the Russian mob um, for four years (laughs) (laughs) in Baltimore. It was called the crazy Russian. And they used to like, it was like me and two other American girls. And then like all Eastern European women that they used to bring in on green cards. And then within like that three month period, marry off to um, members of the Russian mob that were like already like here and settled in Baltimore. And um it it was a wild ride man it was a wild 
it was a wild first experience. I, I have some lifelong, we're all still super close. Like I, um, I got to hang out with when I moved back to Baltimore, like one of the Russian girls was like having a baby and we all like reunited and do like a baby shower. And like, it's been very cute. Um, but that's kind of how like this sex worky part of my life started. And then from there, it was just like, I call it the sex worker snowball effect, which mm-hmm. is very, very different from snowballing, um, to be clear. <laughs> and it's like once you're in the industry and you like kind of last like a year or so and you figure out, okay, this is something that like I enjoy doing and like I can k- keep doing. You just, you know, you start meeting all the different kinds of people. You start being like propositioned with different kinds of opportunities. And you just kind of like start experimenting with like other areas of the sex industry. And so, you know, I was that snowball rolling down the hill, like picking up, you know, starting to pick up like fetish modeling gigs and then starting to do like a lot of go-go dancing and nightclubs and then starting to do um a lot of uh like erotic photography and um and then when I was like I know we're gonna talk about session wrestling a little bit later so I'm gonna we can talk about everything we can talk about everything (laughs) (laughs) um well okay so when I was um so when I was like 20 I uh, again like the era of Craigslist right like I I answered this Craigslist act. I was constantly looking for like kind of like sexy gigs, like whether it was like a shooter girl or like whatever to do in Baltimore. And um, there was this company called uh, Capital City Catfights and they ran out of DC and they place an ad looking for girls to do. um, I mean, I can't for the life of me remember this now. I'm 32. I feel like ancient, but um, I (laughs) answered an ad that was like looking for girls to do like they said staged wrestling like fantasy staged wrestling shoots at this boxing gym in uh the fells point area of baltimore and the girls would be paid 400 dollars a match and if you won you got an extra 200 dollars. and so obviously since this was in craigslist you could expect a wide variety of different kinds of women responding right. to this. Um, usually those who were in very desperate financial situations. And I basically started working in this like female fight club. Um, they weren't wow. staged. They would put us in a boxing ring and they would literally smack talk each other. Like they would, they would come over and be like, she's and like, you know, I saw through it at the time, but they would like try and hype the girls up to hate each other. Cause they just like got there. We hadn't like really met yet. And they're like, you know, you'll be getting ready. And like one of the guys would come in and be like, be like, oh man, you should hear like the shit this girl's saying. Like she's like talking about, she's going to like fuck you up and like do this and do that. And then they go back to the other girl and be like, (laughs) man, you should say. So by the time, like by the time we were in the ring, I knew what they were doing. But a lot of times other girls are like drug addicted or they're like, you know, they're there because like they don't have a roof over their head and they like need this money and they are like ready to kill. So, oh, it's, like, it's war it, to them. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking so. And like you know, all bets were off. They didn't do it safely. They didn't like try and teach the girls any like martial arts skills or defensive skills. They didn't like tell us to like stay on our knees. They were just like literally like fucking kill each other, and we're gonna film it. And so I did female fight club for like two years with them until I was like twenty one or so, and then I got a hardcore concussion because of some girl grabbed the roots of my hair while I was laying on the ground and physically lifted my head up and my body up and head slammed me into the floor. And at that point, 
I like lost consciousness. And when I got up, I just went off on these people and like how dangerous this was. And they ended up like, quote, firing the other girl and giving me like the bonus. But I was like, fuck you guys. Like, it's super unsafe. So around that time, I started realizing like, okay, maybe there are like other ways of continuing this line of work which is not with these people and in like a safer way and somebody told me about the website ultimate surrender and they were like hey listen andre um you're pretty gay uh you know i I swing in all directions i'm an equal opportunity relationship person but they're like you're pretty gay and like you know you like like fucking with strap-ons and you're like kind of like a tough bitch and there's this website called ultimate surrender and like the loser you wrestle women the loser gets fucked with a strap on and i'm like fucking sign me up and i had like legit never thought about doing porn before i never i just it's not that i don't find myself attractive but i am not like the stereotypical right aesthetic of what people are used to seeing in traditional porn so i was just like oh okay like that shit's not for me, right? That's not going to be something that I'm going to be able to access. Um, and I fucking started flying out to San Francisco and shooting for Ultimate Surrender. And for like two years, I was flying out there every two months. And I'd shoot like, you know, I'd shoot for that site. And I started shooting for other kink.com sites. And then I started shooting for like, you know, smaller wrestling sites. Like I've literally been shooting for Academy Wrestling for like 10 years like wow our <laughs> old ass shoots of me with like blonde hair and no tattoo um you know from like eight ten years ago and i started shooting with them and just the caliber of athlete that is on ultimate surrender is you know oftentimes scores more um talented and professional and experienced than on these like smaller sites And so I was wrestling with, like, black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu folks and, like, you know, bodybuilders. And I had to learn my shit. So right around that time, like, 21 or 22, I also started um, learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu and um, spent about six years consecutively, like, training in BJJ and just becoming a better and better wrestler for the sole purpose of doing wrestling porn. And when I was about 23, my partner and I decided, like, let's fucking move to California. Like, fuck this back and forth. And we moved out to California. And I was there in Oakland until um, until 2018. And I just started shooting a lot of porn. I just was shooting porn all the time. And somebody was like, hey, you're super dominant. And you're already doing all these kinky things in your personal life. And on camera, you'd make a really good dominatrix. So then, like, at the same time... I started like training at this like prodom house, which is basically like a brothel, but with no actual like sex happening. Right. Um, you know, in Oakland, California. And then after about a year there, I struck out on my own. And obviously fetish wrestling became like a very large subset of what I offer as a, as a prodom, but so did a lot of other things. And, um, you know, the whole time I kept stripping. I mean, stripping is like my first love when it comes to sex work. Um, I think the only thing that will stop me from stripping is either when my body quits on me or people like do not want to pay me anymore. Um, to do it, you know, um, so yeah. And then like also running parallel to all of that is I started going to sex education work. 
And I started um, working at sex toy stores as like, quote, vanilla, like sex toy stores were my vanilla jobs. That's like how ridiculous my life was. Like the most like modest, pristine thing that I did for a living for money was like, was like peddling dildos. You know what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> so I'm also doing that and going through a bunch of like sex educator, like intensives and trainings out in California and starting to like create a brand around that. So, you know, lots of things have happened in all of hey sorry about hey, that hey it's okay it's okay i we have like a a storm uh coming here so don't worry i can splice these together so but are I, you still in the philly area yes still in the yeah, philly we area. have the do you guys have like the tornado warning and stuff yeah 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 so do we the same thing is happening here in baltimore so don't okay. even worry about it okay cool but yeah. i so sorry about that but i i so i want to get I, I guess I wanted I wanted to ask you about for our listeners if now obviously I know and you know of course um but what's the difference when you say wrestling porn how would you like describe that Jeez well you know you can make in my opinion you can make porn about just about everything right like if if it exists, somebody out there has fetishized it, right? So, like, there are video, people watch videos of, like, folks, like, you know, HD videos of people, like, poking their fingers slowly into fruit. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. for for some people out there, that is considered pornographic. For the majority of us, we're like, oh, it's fruit. Like, what are you doing, right? But so... So there's definitely going to be that camp of people that fetishizes wrestling and like muscles and fitness and athleticism and dominance, like so much that even just to watch two women fully clothed, you know, rolling around on the ground is going to, is going to set them off in a way that, that the porn that we like watching does for us. But for me, I mean, porn is very much like if it's, if I perceive it to be sexual and the person who is the person that I'm shooting it for, the audience I'm shooting it for is going to be turned on by it. Right. Right. So sometimes that's just like, uh, that's just short clips of like lift and carries, you know, of me just like picking dudes up and walking them around (laughs) the room. Sometimes that's arm wrestling, like uh, me and another woman being naked and just arm wrestling each other. And sometimes that's, you know, fucking somebody else, like in conjunction with some kind of like, you know, wrestling or fitness or something like that. Um, But in terms of like the wrestling porn specifically, I'd say, you know, there are lots of elements of it that can be eroticized. There's obviously like naked, sweaty bodies, there's muscles, there's like girl on girl, you know, element of it, or people who like the mixed gender wrestling. Right. Um, there's the dominance and the submission. There's the, you know, feet There's a lot of over overlap with like foot fetish and with like tickling fetish. Um, there's the restraint, like being held down and like made, you know, to feel like helpless and humiliated. Um, there's a lot of, you know, parts, there's a lot of reasons people are into wrestling, I guess. So any video content that showcases any of those things, I I would consider porn and, you know, expect to be paid as such. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, because it's interesting because it's the two, and I always kind of looked at that when I've watched Ultimate Surrender and, and things, it's the obvious, the, the wrestling part, the submission holds, but it's also the, the, the set, the uh, sexual moves you can get off mm, too. Mm-hmm. 
So there's times where I thought that like someone may have won the wrestling, but they wind up losing. At first, I was like, well, "That person yeah, the point, won." The point system is all kinds of fucked. Also, can we just talk about? Can we just talk about this idea in wrestling porn that the loser is the one who gets fucked by a strap on? Right. Okay? Right. Because it is, and I actually made Kink.com the very first porn shoot that I ever did was with Dylan fucking Ryan, who is a who is a goddess and an Amazon and like a legend in like kinky and yes. like queer porn. And I had a huge crush on her, so I was like freaking the fuck out. And I beat her. And I was the first person on Ultimate Surrender because she had like, I don't even know, like five inches and like 50 pounds on me. And I beat her, but I was so fuck it was my first shoot. We shoot for five hours. Oh and wow. That shit is real, man. It is not like choreographed. It's not staged. And when I was done, I was fucking dying. And I was like, excuse me, you want me to immediately jump into str- like athletically strap on fucking this person for the next hour after I did all of that work and won? And so I I made them do like a reversal where like I was topping from the bottom and I was like, fuck this. I don't agree with this like bullshit rule. You're going to fuck me until like I tell you to stop because you're such a loser. And like, I, I still think the whole like having to like fuck this person after you win is like such bullshit. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like doing, you know, sometimes it's like obviously like very like overt sexuality and also again learning that like like okay for example i shoot a lot for academy wrestling right right and academy wrestling the guy who runs it is this could be a holder platform but he's he's difficult and he is very old school and he wants to see these quote like sensual fantasy moves and he will like legit and yet he hires like brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes so, like, I will constantly get yelled at by this guy about not sitting on the other girl's face enough. Like, I'm not face-sitting enough for him. Yeah. Like, I'm fucking, like, putting on an amazing technical and, like, cute, sexy show, but I'm not doing the, like... <laughs> I'm not I'm not pussy-slapping enough during the content, you know? I'm not, like, um, you know, jiggling her titties enough. And I kind of say, and I'm like... <laughs> kicking ass so i always yeah (laughs) i always wonder with that i because it seems it's it's obviously awesome and fascinating but i'm like and i from what i hear you know not choreographed but then i'm like because i can hear even when i watch like now with like uh ariel x and she'll say yeah she's tough (laughs) and i'll hear her say like you know need some more sexy stuff need some more sexy stuff and Mm -hmm. i'm so i'm like yeah it's kind of it has to be that balance of like the moves are cool and like if you said the 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 bodies going against each other like that's sexual but then also like you know people want to see the the sexual stuff as well you got to have that good combo i guess yeah and i've always had this funny thing like again like i i you know i date women i fuck women like i love women but um i also have always had this funny thing about me where like whenever i'm like booked to work with a heterosexual woman I feel super like weird about it um because I feel like I'm getting more out of it than she is (laughs) (laughs) so I actually will be like less sexy with her because in my mind I'm like well I'm like 
I'm actually, you know, not that I'm attracted to every woman I work with or anything right. like that. But like, I when I am, I'm like, well, fuck. Like, I'm get, like, this now feels like almost like power dynamicy, creepier on my end because I'm actually like really enjoying myself and this is like a gig for her, you know. And so then I'll like, then I'll find myself being like very prude and. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird, man. It's it's like it's super funny. It's weird. No, it's 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 interesting. I think it is so awesome that it just even when you start, you know, when you kind of make up your mind, like you know, Hans and I have talked about, like it started off for me just like session wrestling, but then it has gone to bondage and this, and it does, like you said earlier, like snowball into all different types of stuff, and like even I, I to me, it's fascinating. Uh, sex and like disability and I you know and, and I'm a psych major from Temple T for Temple U and was in you know social work and now in, in therapy and mm-hmm. worked with people with disabilities and so I That's guess amazing. I want, oh thank you thank you I think it's You're amazing welcome. what you do because that was a conversation that I you know was having with a lot of my former clients and you know, trying to have them not deal with like the shame or like the frustration and like trying to get families to understand, yes, that may be your, your baby, you know, but that's a, he or she is an adult and they don't need to not have their sexual needs just like us. Like they're, you know, they, why do they need to? So I'm I'm wondering how did you get into to that topic of learning about and being a coach for sex and, and disability? Cause it's awesome. Yeah. So when I, you know, I studied a lot of sex and dis- the intersections of sex and disability when I was, um, you know, when I was training as a sex educator. And I am somebody who has, um, I have mental health issues. I have been on anti-anxiety, anti-depression medication for the past four years. And I've always been like a very big advocate, you know, for mental health, but I'm also a very able-bodied person. So, you know, most of my work prior to diving into that as a sex educator, was kind of like convincing people that deaf folks weren't a disability. Right. <laughs> um, it was kind of like the opposite, right? Because I, I wanted to be an interpreter and I was really entrenched in the deaf community for the first like three years of college. And, you know, they're, they identify as a, um, as a cultural minority group, rather a linguistic and cultural minority group, rather than people who have a disability. And so a lot of times I was doing this like activism being like, they don't have disabilities, like stop labeling you know, right. disabilities. And, um, you know, at this point now, when it comes to like my coaching and consultation work, um, I mean, I do work with some sex workers who have disabilities who are, or people who have disabilities who are looking to get in the sex industry because slowly but surely there is, um, there is more and more representation happening in porn and like just erotic, uh, erotic, stages and venues and opportunities in general for people with disabilities um but just like if you're black just like if you're brown just like if you're trans just like if you're fat when you enter the sex industry you kind of have to come to terms with the fact that your what makes you marginalized is the thing that is going to be fetishized and objectified about you and that requires a strong sense of self and that requires you know um, carving out time for self-care and that requires like really like setting hard boundaries around the work that you do and like how you do it and when and where and like the image that you project of yourself and like being able to sleep at night with that and right. so 
I started working with, you know, people who were entering the sex industry and exiting it. And in doing that was getting a lot of people who were like, hey, I'm disabled. Is there a place for me here? And how can I do this? And so I started working with folks of that ilk. And then I also started finding myself um, getting a lot of requests from young men, specifically between the ages of like 18 and 25, who were um, on the Asperger spectrum. Mm. Uh, we're on, oh, sorry, on the autism spectrum. Yes. And with different levels of like functionality um, and being like, how do I date? I've never had a girlfriend before. I've never been on a date before. I'm like 22. I don't know how to flirt. I can't read social cues. I can't, you know, I can't read body language. Like, how do I do this? And so then I started like doing a lot of research and learning a lot about, um, about, you know, uh, actually this, there's this really wonderful documentary that came out super recently on Netflix called love on the spectrum. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is the feel good thing that you need during COVID right now. It really is. And there's a woman in there who identifies as like a dating coach for people on the spectrum. And a lot of the work that she does is like, again, teaching them how to read body language, teaching them, um, you know, appropriate communication versus inappropriate communication, um, teaching them, you know, uh, sexual boundaries and, you know, what physical intimacy is and what it means and can mean. And so like doing all this amazing work. And that's also a lot of the work that I do with a lot of the coaching clients that I have. So that's like the extension for me of like working with people with disabilities through what I do. That's, that's amazing. And and first off, I I appreciate you talking about your personal battles with mental health, because I also, you know, have, you know, my mental health issues. And so I appreciate you being honest and and vulnerable like that, because it's something that, you know, needs to be talked about even more. I think we've, we're making progress, but in society even more, but especially with, you know, sexuality and mental health, I think it's really huge to talk about those things. And, uh, so I appreciate you saying that and go ahead. One of the reasons I should say one of the reasons that a lot of people turn to sex work is because they either are neurodivergent or they, and, or they have a physical disability that makes it very challenging, if not impossible for them to conform to a traditional nine to five occupation. Um, and so not only, you know, does sex work allow you like, you work for yourself. There's a lot of freedom in that. You can set your own schedule. You can set your own, you know, rates and like price structure and all of that, like autonomy. But it also allows people with disabilities to like create an income on their own terms without having to meet anybody else's expectations um, of them. And so a lot of sex workers, like more sex workers than most people would think have some kind of disability again whether it's a neurodivergence or whether it's physical and so like it sex work is an amazing actually an amazing source of revenue for many people who are struggling with those kinds of things and like disproportionately we do have a lot of shit going on it's just that you know it's not particularly sexy and most of us don't promote that or let our fan base see that part of our lives you know right Right. And just for when you say neurodivergent, I know, mm-hmm. uh, w- can you explain for our listeners like a little bit more about that? Just uh, 
Sure. It just means that your brain doesn't function like it should. Right. <laughs> and this could be mental health issues. This could be, um, like I was mentioning earlier, this could be like autism of some kind. Um, but just something about your brain needs needs chemical assistance no, in no. order to um, to function, uh, you know, the way that other people do without such assistance. No, I I, this is not like the the official like medical no, no. definition of neurodivergence. <laughs> no, no, I and I, I appreciate you saying because um one of the, I have ADHD, I have other stuff too, but ADHD, and I'm in a support group for it, and for the past couple of years, and I never heard that term until two years ago, and they would say, oh, uh, you know, there's your neurotypical people. We're not neurotypical, and I was like, huh? Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what are you? And then that kind of learning about that, yeah, like, like he's pretty much the way you broke it down. Like, you know, your your cognitive kind of ability is you need that doesn't work the way that most people does, and you kind of need that uh, that chemical help. It's a chemical imbalance there. Yeah, so. and it could be situational, or it could be ongoing, or it could be something that's like triggered by trauma in your past, and it just like fucking pops up out of nowhere. And you know, I didn't have any. Um, I mean, I wasn't diagnosed with anything and I I was a very functional, very like, quote, neurotypical person until I was about 25. And when I was 20, and and then I went through all the stages, right? I went through like denial, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just like, maybe I'm just going through a hard time right now. And maybe I am, you know, I'm blowing this out of proportion and like everybody feels this way. Do you ever feel like you could just for like a single day, you could just like, you could just check in with other people and like their tolerances for things to see how you measure up to like other folks. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like what is pain to, from one person to another? What is like intensity from one person to another? What is functionality from one person to another? You know? And I, I think if we could tap into that somehow, um, that we'd be a lot easier on ourselves. To no. be perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, because you're, you're hitting so close to home because, A, you know, we're from the same area. And then mm-hmm. you said you're 32, I'm 31. And it's the same with me. It was when I was 25 is when it all kind of came. I mean, if I look oh, back, shit. revisionist history, it was, yeah, I see it beforehand, of mm-hmm. things. But really when I was 25, when it was like really going downhill and, you're right. It was the same. It was those, those stages of grief that you were kind of going through. Like I felt the same thing. And once I started getting help, uh, you know, and, you know, seeing a therapist and and doing things, it was hard because things that I always struggled with, such as like, you know, organizing my room or cleaning up the garage, I could never do that before. And Mm -hmm. when I started getting help and, you know, taking medications and I was like proud of myself, but I was like, who can I tell? Because to them, that's just like, whatever. But for me, it's a big deal because I could never function. I could never do these things or driving on the highway or night on like 95 and I have like a panic attack. Like I could do it like, but I'm like, everyone else kind of just does it. And it was like having to learn how to have some self-confidence and, and knowing that, hey, you know, your struggle and everyone has their struggle because it was weird where you're like, well, what makes someone else tick or what makes them struggle could be very different for me and vice versa. So I, I totally agree. You kind of just want to know like who else struggles with this or who else is it's hard or, you know, feels this kind of pain or frustration. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I've always been um, very transparent in my, uh, so unlike, you know, sex workers have different boundaries when it comes to basically like how much of their personal or quote real selves they feel safe putting into their work right Right. it's like some people like just spend their entire lives constructing this like huge person I mean many people do especially in the in the pro-domination industry like constructing this entire like um you know, image for themselves, this, this image and this brand and this niche that is so far removed from who they are as a person. And listen, I'm not saying that is like better or worse than anything else, but I, I have been, you know, ever since I came out as like queer when I was 19 and then like the next two years, you know, polyamory came and then, you know, kink came, um, And like, you know, I guess queer and sex worker were like the earliest, but like the more that I was coming out, the more that I felt it was like my responsibility to, um, to be super vocal because, you know, there, I, I have a lot of privilege. Like I am, you know, I'm, I'm queer and neurodivergent and, um, a sex worker, but I'm also, you know, I'm cisgender, I'm not trans. Uh, I'm white, I am like thin, you know, so I have, you know, I'm someone who like never has trouble like getting a job at a strip club. I'm someone mm-hmm. who like, you know what I mean? Like, right. And so for this reason, and I grew up like I'm, I've been working class for a long time, but I grew up like middle upper class. So I'm educated. I have all these things. And I was like, it is my responsibility to be super out about all this like real shit that other workers can't be out about because they're marginalized because they're black, they're Brown. They are still financially dependent on their families and they have to stay in the closet. They, um, you know, have kids, they work for the government, like stuff like that. And so, you know, not only have I just always been so fucking proud of the work that I do through sex work, but also like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about mental health. Yeah. I'm going to talk about racism. Yeah. I'm going to talk about like systemic oppression. Yes. I'm going to talk about, um, you know, when I'm having a bad fucking day, like I, you know, unfortunately I went through a domestic violence situation for the first time in my life, um, this year. And, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and I had to run a crowdfunding campaign for the first time in my life to like ask for financial assistance. And so literally, and, and, you know, I knew that if I tapped into my sex worker again, like client customer fan base, that I was going to be a lot more successful. And there was a part of me that struggled with that. Like, do I just put this on my personal Facebook? Do I, do I make this available to the side of my community? And I was like, fuck it. I've been transparent with them before. I'm going to be transparent with them now. And you know what? Haven't lost a single customer. Haven't like, yeah. you know, haven't, haven't gotten a single message being like, wow, this shit is really unsexy. I'm not going to like follow you anymore. You know, people are generally like pretty kind to me. Um, which I also feel like very blessed about. No, that's but, awesome. Um, but yeah, I just feel like like I I'm gonna be that bitch, you know, like and that's cool. I will just keep being that bitch. And like, if people want to go to other profiles or other you know OnlyFans or other, um, you know, social media accounts or whatever, where like people are just you know sex workers are just like posting pictures of their pussy all day and just being like everything is great, sunshine, travel, flowers, <laughs> like champagne. 
that's fine. Like, that's fucking fine. I'm just not going to be that girl. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, absolutely. No, and I think that's so awesome. And and I guess these, these kind of go together because, you know, you're, you know, even when you were at the college, you, you know, wanted to work with the deaf community. And I know for me at Temple, um, the build, the psychology building and, and those who work with the deaf like the audiology made they that was in the same building, so that's how Yeah, I was, like the speech path and yes, stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So now yeah. is that something that was kind of like what drew you to like starting with working with the deaf community, but then going on and being such an, an advocate and an activist? Like was that something that was kinda like always in you or does something kind of connect you to being spoken out about these issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, the only thing that I wish I'd had more of is an awareness of like racial injustice when I was younger. And I just I just didn't, you know, because again, the internet was new. And, um, and I grew up in a super white area. And uh, I'm so sorry, I am actually (laughs) I'm running a virtual so I run a virtual strip club um, Mm -hmm. online called Sanctuary. And I'm actually, as soon as we get off the phone, I am hopping on uh into sanctuary to like intro everyone and all the good stuff um and uh yeah everyone's like uh, i just got a message from two different dancers in two different states being like this storm just like out of our power and everything so i'm like listening to you and i'm also like no i got you it's like oh fuck me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's okay. We're going to make it work. So, uh, yes, yes. so yeah, I, I've always been somebody who like has been very, um, I've always been like very self-sufficient. Like my mother and I do not talk and, uh, my family doesn't talk to me because they hate everything I do and everything I am. And that's perfectly fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, um, my mom once said to me, like when I got her drunk, she was like, you know, the root of all of this is that like, I had a kid because I needed somebody who needed me and you never needed me and that's like basically why I like I hate you wow. <laughs> that's really what it was yeah. you know and it was like it it wasn't offensive to me at the time because I'd already been through so much stuff I was just like oh my god there it is like that's it I've just always been like very self-sufficient and very independent and very um much like a protector in like all of my relationships um my friendships my my romantic and sexual relationships always like kind of like mama bear like I'm very sensitive to injustice I do not mind putting my name and my face in front of um you know in front of injustices like done unto others and um yeah I guess I've always been an advocate and activist I just didn't have the language for it when I was younger and um yeah when I was in high school actually we got a uh there's a deaf school a deaf high school um, private school that shut down about like 30 miles away from us and they ended up scattering all of the students to different public high schools and so when I was a sophomore in high school we got an influx of about 15 or so deaf students that came with like a few deaf teachers and counselors um, and so because of that uh, they ended up starting an ASL club at my school and I ended up befriending some of the deaf students and myself and some of my friends got very involved in the ASL club because I always like wanted to learn another language, but I am shit at linguistics. Like <laughs> I got, I cannot tell you, I had like eight years of Spanish education and I spend every waking moment 
I mean, pre-COVID, I try and spend every waking moment if I'm going to take time away from my own home in like a Spanish speaking country. And like, I half grew up in like Miami because my cousins lived in Miami and we flew down to visit them multiple times a year. And um, I can't fucking speak any Spanish and it's so fucking disgusting. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just like a block in my brain. But for some reason, like learning kinesthetically, like through, you know, watching and then doing the movements was much easier for me, which like makes sense because I'm a dancer and choreography like works for me and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I got really passionate about it. And, you know, when I was looking at colleges, um, I was like, cool, let's go here. Like, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to travel abroad because I had done a lot of it while I was in high school. And I wanted to like travel abroad for a while. My parents wouldn't let me. And so I literally landed on Towson University outside of Baltimore for two reasons. A, they had deaf studies program um, and they're very close to uh, DC, which is the only deaf college in um, the United States. Uh, it's called Gallaudet University. Okay. And um, they also had a three-story rock climbing gym and a fucking superb, um, uh, what they call an adventure pursuits program, which taught like climbing and bouldering and like river kayaking and backpacking and like wilderness res first responder training. And I was like, fuck, that sounds cool. I'm already rock climbing. Let's go here. And I literally <laughs> went to, I literally went to Towson because, um, because like, uh, you know, I wanted to, I was like, cool. ASL sounds neat. And like, it has this amazing like outdoor program. So that's where I'm going to college. And like, that's legit why I went to school. Um, that's so awesome. Yeah, and there is, like, literally nothing that I have learned, um, you know, in college that has anything to do with what I do for a living, like, what I've done <laughs> for a living since then. And so, like, I'm still paying off, like, 11 years later or whatever, I'm still paying off college loans. Same here. Uh, my college <laughs> loans for fucking – and, like, I have, like, I have, like, $2,000 left. Like, I'm so close because I started paying them right away. But, like, I also am just, like, I'm so fucking curmudgeon about it because I'm, like, nothing I have done or, like, you know, derived income from in my life has anything I, to do with anything I learned in school. You are so speaking <laughs> to the choir. You are so – I'm with you. Like, and I try to be, like, everything happens for a reason and there's life lessons, which there were from going to, you know, college. But I'm, like, it – nothing – Nothing as far as in the classroom. Now, life experiences I had there have helped me, but nothing, there's not a lot in the classroom that, like, really has applied for, like, no. for, like, the job. Like, it's, like, and people I do are, have yeah. some, like, very good friends. You know, I made exactly. some very good friends, and we are still very close, and, you know, I... I discovered my queerness in college, as many people do, and I, you know, I'm grateful for that. But again, that's something that my my school provided exactly me with, um, directly. So yeah, so it's just uh, it's just it's just it is what it is, you know. It'll be done two thousand dollars later. I I uh, yeah, I tried to go to graduate school. I actually graduated um, a year early uh, from Towson and. I wanted to go directly into a an ME in human sexuality program, which is a master's of education in human sexuality program. Right. And I got accepted to Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia, okay. um, which has one of like four programs in the United States for that. And um, I was accepted. And about a week later, a story in the New York Times about prostitution came out. And it, I, in my 
space in my body. I had been like extensively interviewed for it. We're on the front page of New York Times Magazine. And um, a week after that, I received a rescinding of my admission. Um, they literally pulled out and they were like, we don't want you anymore. And because they're a private institution, they are not obligated by law to explain why they made a decision. And I was not afforded an opportunity to appeal. So wow. from everything that I could tell, it was because I, they found out that I was a sex worker, um, which, you know, fuck them. Like I wouldn't yeah. want to go to school there anyway. But like after that, I was just like, fuck this. I'm not going to waste any more of my time or money or labor on trying to like go to grad school. I'm going to like self make my, my own brand and my own businesses. And that's what I've been doing, you know, since, yeah, since age 20, basically. No, no. And I'm sorry that that experience, like I, how messed up it is that that, that happened to you. Like, you know, just that in his, you know, it's a, supposed to be higher you know, level education you know, about sexuality. And then they see something like, you know, just you being on, on the front page of New York Times magazine and instead of trying to not even talking to you or trying to have a conversation, just, you know, running scared. That's but in I, a sexuality program. Exactly. It's not like I was going to law school. It's exactly. That's that's like, that's where. But at the time, the program was run by a lot of, like, very old white men, and, you know, it, it was a shock to the system, and sometimes I think about how different my life would be, but honestly, like, right now, the best, the best sources for sex education are sex workers. Like, if you Absolutely. have a stomach pain that you can't identify, who do you go to? A doctor, doctor. right? Mm -hmm. If you have a sexual quandary, why would it not make the most perfect and obvious sense to go to a sexual professional? And yet we are so disrespected and our industry is so misunderstood and discriminated against and like time and time again, uh, you know, not afforded the same like protections and, um, and opportunities uh, as almost every other legitimate labor industry. Because people say think sex work, they think prostitution, but there are so many other legal right. avenues of being a sex worker that fall under that umbrella. And yet we like we're we're the most, yeah, we're the most underrepresented, misunderstood, stigmatized, um, unprotected labor industry. In the world. And yeah, I mean, you know, I can hope that things will change, but I'm also super not excited about like a uh, Kamala Harris ticket because yeah. she has a history of incarcerating sex workers and being against, you know, decriminalization and things like that. So whatever. I feel like every Democrat in the world is like, we're really not happy about this lineup, but we we will vote. Like That's, will that's vote? pretty much where, yeah. Right no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat, and it's like, man, you, you couldn't have. I just feel like because of the the person who's in the White House, they're just saying we can do whatever we want because we know that's. And I still think it's dangerous too because I think you're going to turn away a lot of people who would vote for the Democratic ticket. But like, I just wasn't. And this is as a black man. People are like, well, aren't you happy that Cal I'm like, not at all. Like, <laughs> have you seen her record on so many issues? I'm like. 
talk about you could have picked someone to really reignite, especially like the young base, and yeah. you went completely different. And like, look, I understand this is a huge milestone in terms of like a black woman being nominated as vice president. Like, regardless of who she is or what her politics are, I understand. You know, it's it's very much akin to Barack Obama and what that meant for social justice in our country, regardless of like whether or not we agree with every single policy of his. But at the same time, yeah, I spent six and a half years in California. Like. I know about Kamala Harris. Like, yeah. I know about her work as a prosecutor. I know about her work, um, you know, also incarcerating members of the African-American community exactly. um, for like things like weed charges, which are now like, you know, in California, at least all thankfully being being tossed out and people are being released from prison out there. Um, but yeah. Oh my goodness. This is totally going to talk, turn into a political conversation and not that I don't want to have it with you, but I actually have to go. I yes. have to start this, uh, my strip club, my virtual strip club for tonight. And I would love to keep talking to you for longer, but, um, but, but booty, this, booty calls. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Um, this just means that we have to talk again real soon because there's so much I want to talk with you about and ask you. So we, we need to have a part two like ASAP. So we, we you know, we'll be, we'll be emailing really soon. Cause I definitely, cause so many questions I still have and, and you're so fascinating and inspiring to me and so many other people. So mm, I definitely want to absolutely. And, and I want to tell you the story about that, but I want you to, to get, you know, I want to hold you up anymore. So Andre Shakti, thank you so much for being on the after hours sessions podcast. It truly was a pleasure. Yeah, no, my, it was, I'm like, the pleasure is all mine. No, I had a great time. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I look forward to talking with you again for part two. Absolutely. No, I'll, I'll email you re- like within this week and try to set, set that up as well. Cause I, I can't wait. I'm excited. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dee. Thank you so much for having me on. I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care now. All right. You too. All right. Bye. bye. I enjoyed that.